When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Summer is coming to a close, and with that, much of our staff's travel is over too. We thought it might be fun to soak up a few more memories from our summer vacations by sharing things that we as quilters do while we travel. We always joke with each other that quilters vacation like no one else and that our family and friends always get a kick out of the ways we incorporate quilting into every aspect of our lives, including our travels. So today, our staff is sharing some quilty vacation memories. Uh, We'll bet you'll find some of them very relatable. So I'm handing the mic over to my coworkers now to share. Enjoy. This is Jody Sanders, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine. I recently attended a family wedding in Alaska. I was able to fit in some sightseeing time and enjoyed seeing all of the wildlife that is abundant in the 49th state of the United States. I convinced my brother to take me to a quilt shop, and I was able to purchase some Alaska-themed fabrics, including designs that included otters, bears, eagles, and puffins. It was at the beginning of my week-long stay, and I kept reminding myself that I had limited space in my suitcase. So, I limited my shopping to my favorite pieces. And amazingly, while I was there, I got to chatting with another couple in the shop, and they lived less than an hour away from me in our home state of Iowa. It's amazing who you run into on vacation in quilt shops. The trip itself was just wonderful, and when I got home and I was unpacking my suitcase, I was admiring my fabric purchases. I went online looking for inspiration for making something with those Alaska-themed fabrics, and I came across several more that I just had to have, and also a few more that I'd wish that I had bought more of. So I ordered more. Well, actually, quite a bit more. And in a few days, my order arrived with a lovely note from the shop thanking me for my repeat business. Have you ever made a vacation quilt? I still haven't decided on the pattern, but I know that whatever I decide to do with those fabrics, they will bring back and evoke great memories of the trip that I took to Alaska. Hi, I'm Joanna, the editor of Quilts and More magazine. How do quilters vacation? That's a fun question. I feel like I haven't been on vacation in a while. Anyway, I would say you can tell I'm a quilter when I'm on vacation because I like to take handwork with me. Usually it's embroidery, sometimes it's paper piecing, usually hexagon shapes. There was one point where I used to joke that quilters should play poker, but instead of chips, they should use the hexagons that you know, they've basted and are ready to add to projects just because if you're anything like me, you've got a lot of those hanging around. Regardless, I like to take them onto planes and work on my handwork as I'm flying to my destination. It's really obvious you're a quilter when you've got your work attached to you, basically. Um, But yeah, it goes in the carry-on and um, I've always taken crafts with me on planes from knitting to crochet to sewing. One of the first things I did when I became editor of Quilts and More was pitch a sidebar of what will the TSA allow you to take onto an airplane. And it was it was funny just because such a no-brainer to me because I feel like I was always looking up that list and something that you get asked a lot if you take your crafts onto planes. What can I bring? What can I not bring? Um, The list does change, by the way, so I still suggest checking out the list before you fly just to make sure that um, everything is 
safe and legal and um, you're not worrying anybody when you pull out anything sharp from your bag. So anyway, um, it's definitely fun and it definitely makes the flight go much faster to have something to work on and to keep your hands busy. Hi, I'm Allison. Whenever I go on vacation, I try to find at least one local quilt shop to stop into. It's so fun to see the unique style and personality that every quilt shop has. I find it especially interesting to visit shops that are in different parts of the country to see what they have to offer that's different than what I can find at my local quilt shops. The fabrics and samples that shops carry can tell a lot about the location that they're in. For example, visiting a shop in the southwest part of the United States will probably look different than the one in the northeast. Being able to travel and see these different ideas is really inspiring and can spark creativity when it comes to creating my own projects. Since space is usually limited while traveling, I don't tend to buy much fabric at these shops, but I might pick up one or two fat quarters as a memento. When I look through my fabric stash, I can usually pick out which fabrics I bought while I was on vacation, and then it just bring, brings back all those happy memories of my travels. This is Doris, editor of Quilt Sampler magazine. I have two vacations coming up, one with family and one with a group of friends. For both trips, I'm doing what I always do, scouting out the quilt shops in the area I'm heading to. Google Maps is a great source to find quilt shops, and I've also referred to the Quilt Sampler Passport, which is a geographical list of quilt sampler shops that have been featured in the first 25 years of the magazine, and it's available as a free download on our website. If you know any quilters who happen to live in the region you are traveling to, you can ask them for recommendations of their favorite shops. Sometimes just asking someone you follow on Instagram or a quilt blog can result in finding a real gem that you might have missed otherwise. When I'm heading on a road trip, I'll also search Google Maps for shops along the route we will be driving. If it's a vacation, typically a small change to the route to hit a local quilt shop is not a big deal. And there's often another business or attraction close by to keep the non-quilters in your car occupied while you shop. Hi, I'm Elizabeth. Now my family goes on a lake vacation together every summer and I spend most of that time just relaxing, boating around the lake, and reading my books down by the water. However, I also love to pack some kind of quilt or sewing project to work on in the evenings or on those inevitable rainy days when you just don't know what to do with yourself, and the idea of starting another puzzle just makes you want to cry. So that's when I get out my handwork, and I'm always so glad that I've packed it. And most of the time I end up packing things like small projects such as English paper piecing or embroidery patterns just because they're so portable, easy to pack, and I just find working on them really relaxing. I also like to take projects that are already in progress. That way I don't have to teach myself a new technique and add to the stress while I'm on vacation. So I like to take things that I've already started, I've already figured out what supplies are needed, and I can just keep the progress going while I'm on vacation. Now, because the lake we visit is within driving distance, I'm thankfully not really limited on the amount of things I can pack. Every, you know, if it can fit in a suitcase and my car, I'm good to go. So I don't really tend to bring my machine with me, um, but sometimes I do pack larger projects, such as a quilt that just needs some binding put on it. I love to put on binding. It's one of my favorite things to do, and I find it so relaxing. One year when I was heading up to the lake, I even packed a finished quilt top with me and I packed the batting and the backing fabric that I wanted with it. And while I was there, I embellished it with big stitch hand quilting using some really beautiful pearl cotton threads. And I was actually able to finish about one block each night while I was on vacation. So by the end of that week, I had made so much progress on that quilt, which would have otherwise just been sitting in my closet at home, just waiting to get started. Now, my mom is also a quilter, and she always likes to bring handwork with her on vacation, too. The last couple of years, she's been working on this really elaborate um, English paper piecing quilt called a Lucy Boston pattern. And I just love that we have this shared interest in common, and we'll sit next to each other at the kitchen table at the 
at the place we rent and we'll just sit by side by side and work on our projects together. And it's so nice to have another person there to ask their opinion um, or for their help if you happen to get stuck. Um, we're also lucky that there are a couple of really, really nice quilt shops in the area we vacation in um, that we can visit if we need some inspiration or we just need a short, a short shopping break um, or if we happen to run out of any supplies. It's always nice to have a shop in the area that we can visit. Hey, it's Lindsay again. It's time to share the way I vacation. So I always bring a quilt or two with me on vacation. Uh, they're usually recent finishes. Um, in fact, many times on road trips, I will be hand binding a quilt in the car uh, to just finish on my, my way to my location. Um, but I just love bringing quilts for, uh, for a few different reasons. So if we're staying in a hotel, a quilt on the bed just instantly makes it feel more like home and more cozy. Uh, if I'm meeting up with family and friends I haven't seen for a while, it gives me an excuse to show off my quilts to those who may not always get to see my work. And if I'm in a beautiful location, I love to take photos of my quilt in the location as a fun memory. Many times my quilts look extra gorgeous uh, when they're surrounded by beautiful nature scenes or even fun landmarks. And then those quilts get infused with all these memories of the trip. So years later when I'm using it, I can think back to the vacation and reminisce. I'd love to hear your quilty vacation memories. So if you have any you'd like to share or maybe even some fun photos to share from your trips, send me an email at apqpodcast at meredith.com. It's listed in the show notes. We're going to take a quick ad break, but hang tight. When we come back, we're chatting with modern quilter, designer, and teacher, Carol Lyles Shaw. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back. I'm now handing the mic over to Elizabeth Stumbo, our art director of American Patchwork and Quilting, for her chat with the talented Carol Lyles Shaw. Enjoy their talk. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing to the podcast Carol Lyles Shaw. Carol is a talented modern quilter, pattern designer, lecturer, and teacher. Carol, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I am so excited to be talking with you this morning and just for you to have to share all about your quilting journey and your passions. So it sounds like you have a lot of quilting and creative passions to share with us. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> yes. So why don't we just start with having you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe your creative journey and how you got started quilting? Sure. I've been quilting for over 30 years and I started in a very traditional way with books from the library and watching uh, Eleanor Burns Quilt in a Day TV of shows uh, and just self-taught for a while uh, making traditional quilts for the most part for family members. Uh, I did not know of a quilting tradition in my family at the time. Uh, then I joined the African-American Quilters of Baltimore and an art quilt group as well. So I was part of two groups. Uh, but AAQB uh, is really the place where I learned my fundamentals, you know, the, the basic tools and techniques and all about fabric uh, to really give me the foundation so that I could execute my ideas. Uh, very quickly, I moved away from traditional quilts into art quilts and then modifying traditional quilt uh, blocks and approaches uh, and making what were really modern quilts, although that wasn't a term when I started doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then now I 
spend most of my time making modern quilts and occasionally I'll make, uh, still make an art quilt or two uh, for a specific kind of event or client. Nice. So you said at the beginning, you didn't know you had any quilting in your family, um, but that changed. You discovered someone in your family that was a quilter? Yes, I did. A great aunt uh, who I knew. Uh, and one day an aunt of mine and I went to visit my great aunt and uh, she was a master seamstress. She worked for one of the high, high end uh, department stores doing alterations and custom kind of work uh, for that for the department store customers. Uh, and so she was very unusual in that she was an African-American woman who at the time she worked there wasn't allowed to shop there uh, because of segregation. But uh, there she was doing this fabulous seamstress work. But when we visited her, uh, we got to talking and I had started doing some quilting and my aunt mentioned, Aunt Helen mentioned it to Aunt Inez, who said, oh, well, I've made a couple of quilts. And she pulled out this amazing Baltimore album quilt. And for quilters who know Baltimore album, and if you don't look it up, it is a very particular style of needle turn hand applique, mm. uh, very intricate patterns, uh, beautiful colors. I mean, you've got to have some real skills yeah. <laughs> to do a Baltimore album quilt successfully. And I was awestruck. But this was before uh, cell phones had cameras, so I didn't get a photo. And <laughs> after she died, it went to some other relatives, unfortunately. But I, I have the visual in my head. I'll never yeah. forget what it looked like. I'm glad it's that like staying in the family, at least. And then you're kind of yes. carrying on that tradition that you, you didn't even know when you first started. I didn't know about, yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to look up that quilt. I've heard that name before of a quilt pattern, but I can't visualize it right now. But yeah. Yeah. They're, they're amazing. And people are still making them today. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a tradition that still lives on. Mm -hmm. ah, that's beautiful. I love it. Um, so when did you know that quilting was going to be more than just a hobby for you? When did you know you wanted to make it a business? Oh, great question. Well, I dabbled in teaching back in the like late 90s, early 2000s, but I was mainly teaching art quilt techniques. Uh, but I really jumped into making this a focus of my business uh, about eight or so years ago when I started booking more lectures and workshops uh, at that, of course, at the time we were seeing each other in real life. Mm -hmm. uh, Remember so those I days? <laughs> gradually included more of that in my, uh, my life schedule because I was still working my full time uh, gig, which uh, I had a uh, a small business of my own as an independent uh, contractor teaching leadership skills all over the world for different clients. Okay. Uh, so I had been an entrepreneur for years and years and years. So moving the quilting into an entrepreneurial mode was pretty easy for me in that sense. I had the business foundation. Mm. Uh, but then when I decided to begin to ramp down my consulting life. Uh, I ramped up the uh, quilting life and uh, then made the full transition about two years ago, three years ago. Okay. Uh, and then of course the pandemic hit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <It changed laughs> that, the world again. Through a curveball to everyone, especially small independent business owners. Yes. Yeah. So um, can you tell us a little bit about that transition? What was that like sure. for you? Well, uh, interestingly, and fortunately, I had started thinking about uh, creating on demand, uh, you know, pre recorded on demand uh, workshops, because the travel uh, to teach was starting to wear me down a little bit. Uh, although I loved being in the room with people, I thought there's got to be an additional way I can bring this to more people. Uh, and uh, so I had started planning and I found some of my original notes uh, going back to 2018, actually, 
Uh, so I had dabbled and talked to, you know, some videographers and just trying to figure out how I was going to create that model. But then when the pandemic hit, well, I should back up. In 2019, I actually took some on-demand classes with some other independent teachers just to see how they were going about it. Taught and I started teaching myself videography and film editing uh, and buying equipment and so forth so that I could make these videos at home myself because that was clearly something you could do by, you know, by that time we figured that out. And then when the pandemic hit, uh, I, of course, everybody canceled everything. All the guilds canceled everything. And then it very quickly, like within a couple of weeks, started contacting me to say, can you do your lecture live over Zoom? And I had been using Zoom in my consulting life. And I said, sure, I can figure this out. <laughs> so I did. That great entrepreneurial thought, spirit. <laughs> workshops, how am I gonna do workshops? And fortunately, I'm in a great community of quilt teachers. We all supported each other in those early months saying, here's how we do this. How do we do that? What, what, you know, what are you using? What are you using? And just sharing a lot of information really fast. I mean, like three months fast. We were like pooling our hive mind, as they say. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't um, even heard I love about... the transition. I absolutely love it. Good. And I'm glad to say my students do too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would um, imagine it would be able to open yourself up to, you know, meeting people all around the world and not being quite so limited on your, your reach, you know, all of a sudden the world has opened up to you. Elizabeth, you have put your finger on it. Uh, I have students uh, in the UK and Canada. I've done workshops and lectures for groups in Australia uh, and, you know, just all over the world, uh, people are taking not just my on-demand workshops, which, you know, you can access that 24-7, 365, mm -hmm. uh, but they're also uh, coming into some of my live workshops because I've started to experiment with different schedules for the live workshops to make them a little bit more accessible for people who are not in the East Coast U.S. time zone. Right. But we have a lot of fun and my workshops, the live ones especially, are very interactive uh, and there are structured conversations that I call creative dialogues where the students can give each other supportive and encouraging feedback about their work uh, that just, you know, inspires them to go even further with what they're doing and experimenting with. Uh, and I'm there and uh, interacting with everybody as well. So we, we really try to build a, a mini community with each live workshop. Mm -hmm. And although it's temporary, sometimes people do stay in touch with each other. That's so cool. uh, and for the on-demand workshops, I try to carry that same principle and use the technology to foster some of that. And for my on-demand classes, I also uh, occasionally do or conduct a live interactive uh, workshop for an hour or an hour and a half where I'll demo something and then we have some dialogue. So that's a lot of fun too. It sounds like you've really adopted technology to make it work I love for it. you. Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah, sounds like you found like the perfect silver lining to the last year and a half, so. It, it absolutely was because otherwise I know I would have fiddled around and fiddled around and been another year and a half before I launched anything, mm -hmm. but I didn't have a choice. Right. Uh, if I wanted like necessity is, you know, what drives you to be creative. Exactly. Necessity. And as I said, having a community of other quilt teachers, all of us learning rapidly, uh, some further ahead who were generous in sharing their knowledge, uh, that made the difference too. If I'd been trying to do it totally on my own in some sort of vacuum, mm -hmm. I'm not sure I would have gotten there as quickly. Yeah. Uh, but also uh, guilds and students saying, how are you going to, we want to see you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how are we going to do this? Right. The demand was definitely there for you, for sure. Yes, it yeah. was. It was. Mm -hmm. It still is. Um, people are 
uh, guilds are contacting me about 2022 and even into 2023 doing oh, wow you're popular <laughs> yeah it's yeah. uh and and I think because there's always going to be this mix of people, quilt teachers traveling to do face-to-face -face in person. Uh, I am not sure when I'm going to start doing that, but I'm sure at some point I will. Mm -hmm. uh, but guilds are also seeing, wow, we can have a teacher from Florida and we're in Australia. Uh, she's not going to fly here <laughs> and we couldn't afford to bring her here. Right. Uh, but we can afford to have her in a Zoom lecture or a Zoom class. Yeah, opens up a lot of doors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love what you're saying about community um, because sometimes I feel like quilting can feel like a very isolated hobby. It's just sometimes it's just you as a quilter in front of your sewing machine and it's just you and your machine getting through. But we know there's a rich history of community and quilting with sewing bees and today with retreats and guild membership. Can you share a little bit about what you love about the quilting community and what, um, what you've created, how you've created that community online um, for your business and maybe even just personally too, how you have that strong community? Well, uh, it starts really at the personal level for me because I've, I've always belonged to guilds. Uh, I used to live in Maryland, now I'm in Florida. And I actually helped co-found a modern guild here in Florida because I didn't have a modern community. And I said, okay, I'll make one. Yeah, and I met you someone build it, who also come. wanted to do that. <laughs> but uh, I uh, find that being in community, uh, whether it's, you know, mostly socializing and, you know, having lunches with my guildies, my guild buddies, or at our meetings where we're sharing information, showing each other new things we're working on. Uh, and frankly, uh, when I started uh, teaching several years ago, I piloted my classes with my guild mates. And they were, I said, this is a pilot. So, you know, I, sometimes I do it for free, sometimes for a very minimal kind of cost. I said, I just need your input. Does this work? What doesn't work? How can I improve it? So they were very generous in helping me develop as a teacher. Uh, but I believe that uh, the quilt community is such an enormous world. I mean, there are millions and millions of quilters. And sometimes we, as a quilter, we might have a particular interest, like mine is modern quilting. Although I love quilt history and I'll look at, you know, older quilts and so forth as well. And there are many different types of styles or genres. And then there, fortunately now, especially with technology, you don't have to be in a little box. You know, as a modern quilter, if I wanna take a class in Baltimore album quilt making, there's probably one out there for me, right. if not more than one that I can take from my home. Uh, so uh, there's just so much information available to us now. Uh, and, you know, 20 years ago before, you know, the web, you know, grew up as it has, the guild, you know, our local guild was where we all learned and grew and got support. Mm -hmm. So those 20 or 40 or 100 people in that guild we all helped each other learn and grow, you know, right there in the room together. Mm -hmm. uh, and also supported each other. We support each other through personal life changes. You know, the good stuff, you know, the new kids, the grandkids, the whatever, new marriages, etc. cetera. Uh, and the tragedies as well. You know, when things are not going well for us, for health or whatever reasons. Uh, so that emotional support that doesn't judge, that just, you know, brings you in and holds you in a safe place, that's really important. That's why I think it's really important for guilds, whether they're meeting live or virtual, to figure out ways to connect with each other on a personal level as well. Because if guilds don't do that, they're not going to last very long, I think, in this day and age. Yeah. 
And you can do it virtually. I mean, you know, you can have Zoom sew-in days and, you know, if five people show up, you end up chit-chat, chit-chat and show each other stuff, but you're chatting and talking and just feeling that friendship, that love, uh, or if it's 20 people, whatever it is, uh, you can do that over Zoom. It's not a cold technology. It's as warm as you want to make it. Like this conversation. Yeah, with you. I love <laughs> it. Yeah. Oh, I know. I feel so privileged. I love this. And I do. I feel like everyone is just really searching for community and connections. And I love that we can find that in quilting along with our passions for creating, you know, so that's great. I love it. So great, great uh, service you're putting out there to encourage people to get connected, um, whether locally or around the world. So that's beautiful. Hey, it's Lindsay. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we have to take a quick ad break. We'll be back soon with more from Carol. So you have shared with us about your passion for modern quilting. Can you tell us a little bit about what modern quilting means to you? Um, Cause sure. I know it's a very personal thing and it's a very wide genre. Uh, yes and no. I, uh, I define modern quilting as a set or collection of design principles. You know, and they're, you know, I don't know, 12 or 14, whatever the number is, because it's always changing. You know, new things are always emerging. Um, so when people say, can you define it in one sentence? No, but I can give you a short list of several principles and you will see some, but not all of them in any modern quilt. If you go to my website, look at my quilts or my Instagram feed, uh, you'll see a wide range of different types of modern quilts. For instance, some people believe that uh, all modern quilts have to have negative space, meaning areas of the quilt that don't have block uh, seam lines in them. It's just fabric, large spaces of it. Or it has to be gray or white in that negative space. Well, you'll see quilts of mine that have very little negative space and no gray and no white fabric <laughs> because the design principles are there as guidelines. They're not laws, <laughs> they're guidelines. And in modern quilting, we encourage people to experiment, to reinvent even those guidelines. Mm -hmm. We also have a foot firmly planted in the past and in uh, uh, modern quilt shows, like the Modern Quilt Guild show and others, there's usually a category called modern traditionalism where your modern quilt has to be a recognizable reinterpretation of a traditional block or design. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have in my head, someday I'll do something with Baltimore album quilts, but yeah. who knows if that that'll would, ever happen. That would just come full circle for you then. Yes. Yeah, that would be amazing to see. I look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> so do I, if I can ever figure it out. Right. But well, um, And some of them, the emerging trends in the last couple of years have been maximalism, uh, minimalism that is limited color palette, uh, lots of usually negative space, open space, uh, simple block designs. Uh, minimalism was is very much a, a modern quilt design principle. And then some of us started saying, well, wait a minute, what if we go 180 degrees to more color and more shapes and more chaos, more <laughs> complexity, I should call it complexity. More and more. Uh, about three years ago, the winning best of show quilt for the Modern Quilt Guild was a maximalist quilt. And you could hear the, the jaws drop in the room. And those of us who were maximalists were like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a cheer going up in the background. <laughs> yeah, it was like, ah. <laughs> so that is, I mean, it's in my list as a formal uh, principle, design principle of modern quilting. And uh, one that I am teaching and encouraging is Afro-modern. Okay, explain and, that. And, uh, you know, people, again, can go to my Instagram feed or my website and see some examples of that. But uh, using African prints in a modern way. Hmm. So my Afro-modern quilts will use 
like grunge and solids and other fabrics to showcase mm -hmm. those modern of those African prints. Okay. And there are some African prints that are that have a very modern kind of 21st century design aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So they're very different from the African prints we've been used to seeing. Right. I, I use those as well. So Afro-modern Afro -modern. is the newest emerging trend. And I can't wait to see what's next. Yeah, that's exciting. I feel like it's always evolving. It's mm -hmm. great. So. Well, I think what I love about your quilts when I look at them is that just the beautiful color combinations you you come up with and also this beautiful sense of movement in all of your quilts. Um, and I just look at them and they just look like there's so much joy and playfulness there. Um, can you, for those of us that maybe have never tried improvisational piecing, I know it's something that's personally always intimidated me a little bit to not really like have a plan. Could you give us any tips to maybe encourage us on, on how to get over that uh, intimidation maybe and to start playing with fabric? That's an excellent question, Elizabeth, and, and students who come to any of my improv classes come, many of them come with that question. Uh, I think first of all is, is as when we want to experiment with improv, we have to let go of something that we hold on to in quilting, which is I'm going to make a block and I'm going to get it right. Mm perfection. There's a perfectionism uh, because we're used to working to a pattern, to a plan, and it's either right according to that pattern or it's not. Mm -hmm. That is, a, is a, again, 180 degrees away from improv where there is no plan, but you're using some improv techniques to discover, to see what emerges. And you have to be willing to say, hmm, well, that's interesting, but I wonder what would happen if I, and then you try something else with that. Not all of my improv uh, uh, blocks that I make work out. Some of them go in the scrap bin and, you know, get put into a stash jazz quilt or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also really keep asking myself what I like about what's happening, what I'm not satisfied with, and what could I do to change it? Mm -hmm. So it's really a mindset change. Uh, and we have to stop thinking of the fabric as being so precious that we might mess it up. <laughs> right. Messing it up is the heart of improv. Well, let's, let's just do Let me just cut this all up. Uh, I have an improv uh, class that I teach where <laughs> One of the steps is, okay, you've taken that block. Now we're going to cut it apart. And people go, oh, but I like it. Yeah, cut it anyway. <laughs> Let's see what will happen. Yeah, that would so be it's about experimentation. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like there's a lot of freedom there too, maybe in those of us that have, are perfectionists at heart and feel like we have to have perfect points. Uh, I think that yes. could be a good experimentation and in, in, in finding some freedom to play. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I'm inspired. I can't wait. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to start trying <laughs> some improv. I think that'll be a good challenge for me. So, well, thank you. Um, okay. Let's see what else I'm, I'm right now. I'm currently looking at the wall behind you and you have beautiful quilt behind you. Um, I'm curious about the rest of your sewing space. What, what kind of environment do you like to sew in? Are you kind of a creative whirlwind or are you really organized with your, with your stash and your UFOs? <laughs> well, I've been working on uh, keeping my stash organized, uh, and I organize by type. So I have all my grunges, you know, on a set of shelves, all my solids, etc. And then inside that, I organize by color. Um, I also organize by types of prints. Uh, and so, for instance, all my stripes are in one small bin, and you know, different kinds of, uh, my African prints are all in one space. So I or try to keep types and colors uh, organized so that I can quickly go to that area of my room and find what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Or just go in and say, well, what I like to try to work with this week. <laughs> I, I usually have a design idea in mind that I wanna make another Parisian curves quilt or whatever. Uh, but then I think, what type of fabric 
would I like to work with that I haven't done recently or at all? Mm -hmm. So it's the two things come together. But my space, the wall, uh, my main design wall stays pretty empty. Uh, the quilt that's up there is usually, or what's usually up there are blocks, you know, a quilt in progress. Mm -hmm. uh, my other design wall, which is a smaller wall, has ideas and thoughts and notes kind of up there. So that's kind of a holding space. Okay. Uh, that I have, and that's kind of near my, uh, it is near my sewing machine. Um, but my main wall stays pretty empty. I, and on the rest of the room, I do not uh, hang, you know, past work or anything like that. I like an open, empty space. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, that, my eye gets feel, too distracted. Okay, yeah. Does that help you just feel more creative than yeah. being empty and blank walls and focus? Mm -hmm. okay. And sometimes I'll work on something uh, and then reach a point where I want to pause on it, let it, you know, simmer for a while and I'll take it down. I take a lot of photographs, but I take it down, put it in its bin with all the fabrics I'm working with and pull out another project or start something else. So I'm usually working on a couple things at a time. I don't have a lot of UFOs. Okay. Uh, mainly because I send out my quilting to long arm quilters. Uh, so I, I get the, at least get the quilting done. My UFOs are usually binding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they tend to uh, all build yeah. up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I, I don't, you know, I don't start and stop. If I'm, if I am working with something and I really don't like the idea, I'll take those blocks, put them in the scrap bin, put the fabric back in its area and start something new. I'm willing to abandon something is not being all that successful. Okay, that's good. So you were talking a little bit about your stash earlier and it reminded me of a workshop I saw that you promoted earlier this summer and it was called Sustainable Stash. And yes. that just really intrigued me. Can you tell us a little bit more about that concept, that, that workshop and what, um, why do you think that's an important topic for quilters to, to think about? Sure. Um, thanks for, for mentioning that. Uh, I, uh, couple, over the last couple of years, I've, I've been increasingly concerned about my own tendency to over be an over consumer, over consumption, buying more fabric than I will ever use. Uh, so I had started de-stashing, uh, selling, giving away, making charity quilts for my guild, but using what I have and then, you know, adding in what I needed, you know, when I needed it. Uh, but then I decided that one of the ways that would help me actually develop a more sustainable practice would be to teach something because that's how we learn stuff, right? Teach it. Well, you learn it and, and you share it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but my focus is on managing our tendency to overbuy, managing and, you know, I love the manufacturers. God bless them all. I'm glad they're making new stuff. Uh, however, one of the things that disturbs me, concerns me, is that everything is marketed with a scarcity mentality. Oh, you got to buy this new blah, blah, blah line of fabric because it'll be gone. Mm -hmm. uh, when the truth is, there'll always be something equally as interesting and equally as fun and equally as beautiful six months from now. The manufacturers put out a lot of new lines of fabric. And one of the things actually shops are struggling with is that manufacturers say, okay, this is going to be available for four months in 2021 fall, and then it's gone. Uh, and so they're constantly having to buy without knowing if it's going to sell. So, you know, that poses a business challenge for them. Uh, there are all kinds of issues that go with this, but mainly I think it, let me put it bluntly, when I see posts that say uh, things like, uh, buy the fabric anyway, you know, encouraging people to overconsume. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw a post about a moving van company and it said, 
Uh, we're moving a quilter, so we have three men instead of two, and our second truck is on its way for her stash. I do not find that to be funny. Yeah. That to me is really sad because my my guilds have been the recipients of huge, huge estate stashes of quilters who either can no longer do it because of health or who've passed away. I mean, enormous bins and bins and yards, hundreds of yards of fabric. And I thought, what a what a sad waste. You know, this woman bought all this stuff. She never made quilts with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what was the point here? You know, what are we actually doing? And the environmental impact of fabric dyeing and manufacturing is, of course, enormous, and we all know that. So uh, I'm not saying don't buy fabric. I do buy fabric, but I do it in a very intentional, targeted way. Uh, Every once in a while, I may do an impulse purchase of a yard or two of something, but I have really, really, really become more disciplined and just aware. Mm. Am I falling into this emotional, dramatic mindset of, oh my gosh, if I don't buy it, it'll be gone. (laughs) And so what? (laughs) So it's gone. You know, something something else else you love. (laughs) Mm, it ain't all that important, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and the other thing I've noticed, the, st- the students in the class have said, I don't know what I own. I don't know how to find what I want to use. So we actually start with organizing. Okay. Start by organizing. Start with, a, you know, some clarity about what you have. Mm-hmm. And then you can use it which is the second piece of using it. Mm -hmm. And then if you need something or you see something that will fill in a gap, you can buy with intention. Because you don't know what you need until you see what you already have. Exactly. Yeah. So when people take my classes, I say, please shop your stash first. Do not buy any new fabric for a class. Mm -hmm. You don't know if you're going to love this. (laughs) And I'll bet you have everything you need right where you are. And with improv, of course, if I don't have enough yardage in this particular blue, well, I can find a blue that's compatible and use that yardage too. I mean, it's not like we have to match everything. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's something that enough quilters aren't talking about. So I think it's such a important topic. And so thank you for bringing that to the forefront and having classes to teach people about that. And just to have us all think a little bit um, more about our purchasing power and and what that means. So, because yeah. so there are many, many, many places out there where we can make our quilts and then donate them to someone who will, whose life for that moment will be a little bit better because mm-hmm. they have this lovely quilt that was made. So we need to get our quilts out in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to buy, that's great. But I want to see you use that stash so that it starts to dwindle, starts yes. to dwindle. Because yeah. so I said, them. I don't want to be that that person, that Aunt Carol, you know, and my nieces and nephews have to come in my house and say, what are we going to do with all this fabric? I want them to say, oh, there's not that much here. Okay, let's call her guild and, you know, yeah. we can distribute it. Yeah, yeah. I hear stories like that too often, I think. so. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, to wrap up, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Um, we always like to end our interviews with what we call our rapid fire questions. So okay. I have five questions that are pretty easy to answer. I'm just going to throw it out there and whatever comes to your mind, just throw it out. So okay. first one is what is your favorite workshop that you teach? Any workshop with improvisational curved piecing. Okay, beautiful. What is a technique that you personally want to learn or improve at? Actually, it's not quilting. It's uh, I want to get better at using Canva and other graphic design programs. Okay, good. So it'll just like help all with your pattern designing in the future. Yes. Yeah, that's a good goal. Um, What is a current project you're working on? Uh, Actually, I'm developing a membership uh, that will launch in a couple months. 
uh, that uh, will include a lot of my on-demand and live classes for a monthly membership fee. So that's going to be a brand new uh, offering coming oh, very soon. Very exciting. We're getting our first glimpse at it then here. Yes. Yeah, perfect. So everyone stay tuned for that. Um, all right. And so what is what is something that quilting has taught you? Quilting has taught me patience. Mm. Because even when I'm doing improv, or if I'm doing, you know, a pieced pattern or something, if I rush through it, if I don't just take my time and sew that seam carefully, if I don't take my time and choose the fabrics that I really want to use, I'm not going to be as happy with the results. So patience. That's a good one. All right. And last one. What do you love about being a small business owner in the quilting community? Ah, I love the community itself, the people that I get to interact with, uh, whether they're buying one of my patterns or uh, especially those taking my workshops because, you know, I get to make new friends. Yeah. And so I love the community. On the entrepreneurial side, I love the freedom it gives me, mm -hmm. you know, to create something new or stop doing something that I don't really enjoy. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much. Well, Carol, I loved our conversation this morning. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. And what are uh, what's the best way for people to follow you, find out about upcoming things you have going on? Um, what, where is that place? Uh, the best place is my website, which is my name, Carol with an E, carollylesshaw.com. Uh, and if you Google it, I'll pop right up. Uh, and there you can sign up for my newsletter, which is the best way to hear about what's new. Or follow me on Instagram at carol underscore Lyles Shaw. So I'm all over IG. Love IG. Oh, me too. Such a fun podcast. And thanks, Elizabeth, for having me. It's been really a pleasure and an honor. And thanks so much. And thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Lindsay. Wow, I just loved that interview. Carol is such an inspiring teacher and really has impacted so many quilters. You can really tell her passion and love of quilting. Carol is also featured in the August issue of American Patchwork and Quilting, so if you don't already have that magazine, you can still find it available online to read more about her and see some beautiful photos of her work. We'll also link to Carol's website and social media in our show notes so that you can connect with her more. And that's it for today's show. Before we leave today, I wanted to share an opportunity that we have for our listeners. So in early November, we're doing a podcast called Your Best Sewing Hacks. We did one about a year ago, and it was so popular, um, and our listeners shared these amazing tips and tricks about quilting, and I know I learned so much from that episode. So we wanted to do it again. So if you have a sewing hack you want to share with other quilters, email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com, and this email is in our show notes. I can't wait to hear from you. Everyone have a great week.